Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? So the week was okay. Uh, my grandmother came and stayed with us for the week and she never leaves her house because she's always so paranoid about something happening at her house or my uncle, who I told you is sort of like the estranged uncle that now, I don't know if he lives with her or he checks on her a lot because he has a girlfriend that lives like 15 minutes away in Leesville. But he's there a lot. And he is the uncle that was estranged until my grandfather passed away because he, you know, he has a history, right? We all have uncles like that that have histories. And it wasn't like he had a history of drug use or anything like that. He's just like not the most honest person. And he had been in and out of jail for like petty things like, oh, bad checks or, oh, you know, um, hiding stuff from his employer. Like he does stupid stuff like that. So um, my grandmother, my mom drove my grandmother home yesterday and we they get there and my mom calls me frantic and she's like now I know why your grandmother never likes to leave home I'm like well what happened and she's like your uncle has driven the car into the house like physically like an accident into the house right so my so my grandfather when he passed away had two cars and you know my grandfather has been he passed away literally five years ago so these are older vehicles one's a Jeep Grand Cherokee and the other one um, was a Lincoln one of those Lincoln town cars right and it was new when he bought it but then he died a couple of years later. So my grandmother doesn't drive. She got in a car accident when she was younger and hasn't driven since that time. She's always been drove around by my grandfather or she'll take a cab or her friends will come pick her up. So when my grandfather passed away and my uncle came um, to see him because my grandfather asked for him at that point, he's been around. So Initially, he was driving my grandmother like to church, to bingo. You know, it's the Ritter. You can get anywhere in seven minutes. So one day he didn't come home with the Lincoln. And come to find out, they like literally he came home. He's like, oh, I lost the Lincoln. Somebody stole the Lincoln. And so come to find out the Lincoln had been involved in a car accident. And And abandoned it? Well, he said that it was involved in a car accident. He didn't know it was. Like somebody told it and he didn't know it was. And so somebody must have stolen it. But apparently he said that this woman was in the wrong. So my grandmother is like calling her insurance company and all this stuff. And they're like, okay, that's fine. Like send us a police report so we can process this and we can move on. Well, apparently there was a car accident, but he had lied about who he was. He lied and said that he was my uncle who had passed away a couple why? of years before that. But why? What's even the point? Girl, 
I think some people just like to lie. But why so then, verifiable lies, though? Like, at girl, some point, especially when dealing with insurance, it's going to girl, catch up with you. To this day, they don't know where that car is. They could not get the insurance process because there was no proof that anyone was in the wrong because the car was not no longer available. It was crazy. Fast forward. My grandmother comes down here and she tells him in front of my mom who picked her up, do not move this truck. Now, why my grandmother didn't take the keys? I don't know. But they get there and my grandparents have like a little three bedroom house. It's brick, but it has siding in the front of it. And there's a carport. There's not a garage. And there are these two poles or there are poles along the side of the carport, basically. Yep. And the first pole was knocked down. And so my mom pulls up and she's like, what the heck? What the heck happened here? You know, probably and so, a storm or something, right? Yeah. I mean, because they just got through all this FEMA stuff. Like she's still waiting on her check from the roof being knocked out from a couple months ago from FEMA. You know, like they are constantly renovating because the storm season has been ridiculous this past year. So my mom walks up to the carport and she is like, oh my God, like the whole wall is pushed into the kitchen. <gasps> right. And so my mom like goes in the house and my uncle's in there and she's like, so wait, what is going on? So wait a second. The whole entire wall of the carport that would normally be next to the house is now into the kitchen. It, it makes up the wall of the kitchen. Oh my! So God. the door is wide open because it can't close because oh, the wall course. is like pushed in. And the in. frame is probably the, all kinds of right? messed up. The refrigerator is pushed up against the opposite wall. I mean, it's like it, it's I'm surprised something didn't like catch on fire because the hot water heater is on the other side of the wall. Girl, it's a mess. And so my mom goes in. She's like, what the heck has happened? And he's like, I don't know how that happened. That that pole has been like that. And she was like, no, it wasn't. I picked her up myself. And he was like, well, I don't now, know what he's happened. trying to play Jedi mind tricks as if she hadn't seen right. the, the whole wall into the, the refrigerator right. move. And so my mom was like, well, what happened here? Well, I don't know who did this. And my mom looks at the Jeep. And there's like white paint and a dent in the back of the Jeep. And she was like, well, this is how it got there. And he was like, well, I didn't do it. And my mom was like, well, who was driving the truck? Who was driving it? I don't know. I can go ask Mr. Caston across the street to look at his security cameras because our cameras aren't on. And I'm like, who lied? So my mom was like, he's like sitting there lying. He knows he drove the truck. He's drunk. I mean, Mr. Caston across the street. Like, really? Why are we involving other people? Like, so my mom, you know, at that point, I'm like telling my friend Asia that she's on her way over here to get some stuff for a baby shower she's throwing. I was like, you want to ride to my hometown with me, girl? She was like, sure. Right. <laughs> so we're like on the road and then Harrison has a fit and then my mom calls me and says that she's gotten everything taken care of. So I'm like, okay, fine. So we turn around and we didn't go, but it was a mess. I mean, she had to, my mom had to literally find someone to temporarily board up that side of the house and stabilize it so it wouldn't fall in. My grandmother is refusing to leave her house. My uncle is calling her from North Carolina to tell her, no, you have to go back to Nicole's house because this house is not safe for you to be in. I mean, but she's afraid that I get it, though. She's afraid, like, if I leave my house, even if I put him out. He's going to ruin my house may not be standing right, right when I get back at all. So, girl, that was our drama yesterday. Literally, I almost called you and was like, can we record a podcast Sunday evening? Because I may be driving back from Doritos. Girl, I, that's crazy. You should have called me because I don't. First, first of all, I, how old is your uncle? Old. He's like in his 60s. Oh, my God, Nicole. You he's an adult child. My grandmother is in her 80s. And he's in his 60s. I just assumed and I'm like, that he had to be the youngest and closer to our age. No, 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 no. The younger. And you're thinking about my mom. So this is the other thing. You know, um, James was like, why did your mom not put him out? I said, my mom asked him, told him he was a liar mm-hmm. and that he needed to leave. But she can't physically put him out. That's not my mama's mama's house. That's my dad's mom's house. Oh, yeah. You know, I keep forgetting. Yeah, my mom is just. Yeah, my mom is just really close to the family, you know, to the point where, you know, when my grand grandfather died, she sat on the front row, honey, okay. next to my grandma with her big hat on. And my uncle sat on the second row. So she's very close to the family. But I'm still like, that's really not 
her place to be putting uncles out. Now, my mama is cocky like that. So she, if he was there, like when she came back, she was. I was about to say, I feel like Lisa could definitely that house real quick. <laughs> she would have definitely put him out, but she said he wasn't there. And she said she, she, um, my grandmother was so upset. She was crying. She's like, I've never, oh, she's like, God. out of the, the time that I have known your grandmother, I have never seen her so angry that she was crying. She was so angry. But she said by the time she went back over there, someone had pushed the wall back out. But I'm like, my thing is, if you can push a wall in, push a wall out, push, it's that's not, not safe. safe. Right. Right. So that's why my mom went ahead and got the side boarded up anyway, because and stabilized because I mean, what if she because my grandma would do something like I'm gonna go pick me a cup of coffee and then the whole damn kitchen would mm-hmm. fall in or something. So um, my grandmother let my uncle drive her to church because he she needed he needed to go to church with her. He's going to church. And when my mom went back over there and sit on the altar and have Terry service until he get that lion demon out of him. That's girl. And I'm with your grandmother. I just I just can't. She said uh, my grandmother um, said, well, you know, I don't know. He's saying that he didn't do it. So, you know, your grandmother believes him. Girl, my grandmother is like (laughs) she believes saints. Of course. She doesn't. She doesn't believe him. But. She doesn't want to call him a liar because she has no proof, right? If he's saying that he didn't do it and everybody else is saying he did, but we weren't there to witness it. I mean, it could have been a friend that drove the truck and got drunk and backed the truck into the grass. So she's like, I'm not saying he did do it and I'm not saying he didn't. Okay, but here's my thing. And I'm like, it still doesn't change the fact that the house is ruined. Exactly. So here's my thing, Grandma. Grandma. Whether he did it or not, he was responsible for the vehicle. He was not supposed to drive the vehicle, which means that he's not supposed to let anybody else drive the vehicle unless there was an emergency. And why didn't he say something since he was there and saw it? And why make why pretend like it's been like this as if nobody would have known? Girl, listen, there are certain family members that are always welcome at my house. Like they don't even have to call. They can just come by. I have a guest room ready for them. They can they can chill, right? He is somebody that's never welcome in my house. I, literally, people have to convince me for him to come mm-hmm. in my house because he's known as our problem family child. member that, yeah, and he may steal something. Oh, yeah. No, we don't like sticky fingers. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. So so I don't know if my, my mom is still out of town, which is why Stacy is watching Harrison this morning. Oh, hey, Stacy. <laughs> Harrison's gonna walk all over a girl <laughs> uh, but she came she came early she got here like 7 15 Harrison was still sleeping she came and got him out of the bed um around 7 45 I don't know why the homeboy's sleeping in so late but probably because he went to bed late because we were mm-hmm. up late trying to figure out what she What's was gonna do right yeah so um so he's I don't know if he's still sleeping or not right now he's quiet so I'm just like, I'm going to roll Go ahead and do these podcasts and roll with it. I don't blame so, you. So that has been my, my weekend, Janine. It, it always gets interesting right at the last minute. All the time. You hear what I tell you? All the time. So how's your week been? Well, I had that minor procedure on my arm. So now I have a little, you know, situation. What I didn't tell you was last week when, I, when we were recording, I had a very swollen knee. Why did you not tell me this? Because I didn't want... Here's the thing. You know, I... Oh, my God. ...process things for myself before I end up seeking help, okay? So I had a very swollen knee. So right after I had my procedure for my arm, which was super minor, but, you know, I went to the dermatologist who who are like... um, I feel like dermatologists are like plastic surgeons. He was super meticulous with my stitches to make sure that I didn't have any weird, like... Scar, right? Which I really appreciate. Shout out to Dr. Soden. But I could barely walk. Like he was like, you know, I was wondering why you were limping. So I went to patient first, which is urgent care here. And I have managed to sprain. First of all, they drained fluid off of my knee. That process, annoying. It felt better after they drained it. But the process is just, it feels uncomfortable. And I have a sprained knee and now I have a hinge brace on my knee. Oh my God. On for three weeks. 
so that I can get my knee stabilized because, and this is lesson to parents who have children that have sports injuries when they're younger, if they tear a ligament, if you have a child and your child tears a ligament when they're young, please get it fixed for them. Even if they this don't is from a torn fixed. ligament when you were younger, though. When I was in high school and my knee is not stable. So basically they have this hinge brace on my knee. So I have a hinge on the left side of my knee and a hinge on the right side of my knee. So my knee can still operate the way that it needs to, but they're stabilizing it because my knee is going, is moving side to side, which is not supposed to do. It's supposed to stay there. So got this good old trusty brace for the next three weeks. That had to have been happening before now though, Johnny. You you just did not listen. This is not just to parents. It's to people, all people. Stop ignoring your symptoms. Look, I felt like I knew what a torn ligament felt like. So I knew it wasn't that. So I was like, it's not excruciating pain. It's just a little annoying. Oh, my God. The only reason that I really went, Nicole, is because I had gotten the swelling down because, you know, I have enough sense to say, okay, well, let's put some ice and see if we can get the swelling down and let's take some ibuprofen and, you know, all those kinds of things. Right. I got the swelling down and then all of a sudden started swelling up again. So I was like, you know what? It's probably time for me to go to see somebody about this. So I did. And now I have a brace. Three weeks, I got it. And then I have to go see an orthopedic surgeon. Oh my God. I don't know what to do with you. (laughs) I don't know what to do with you. You're hard headed. I thought that we had worked on you and you weren't as hard headed, but I realize now, same old Janine. Well, here's the thing. I try really hard to avoid these situations, but in my mind now, I'm realizing that the longer I try to avoid them, usually the worse they are. So I'm getting better because I did voluntarily go to patient first this time. I did not. No one had to tell me like, hey, girl, you need to go patient first. I was like, okay, this is a thing. So let me go see about this and get checked out. And now, you know, we're here. You know, it only took you probably, what, 15 15 years, something like that. It only took you a little while. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Well, I hope that you feel better now, though. I hope it's better. And that you're not going to do anything like Pilates on top of this knee brace. Well, the. Oh, my God. Oh, my event the very next day. It kind of aggravated it. You know, it was outdoors. What are you thinking? (laughs) I had to work. Look, work has to happen. Okay, if if anybody is listening and they are trying to figure out which one of us are the sane and which one of us have lost our minds. I think this is pretty evident today. It's (laughs) Jenny that's lost her mind. Not me. It's Jenny. Work outside is open. I do events. I can't not do events. Yeah, but you don't have to do events. That's going to strain your already strained knee. But it literally was the next day. I didn't have time for the coverage. I just was like, okay, moving around. I have been. Hard head. Hard head going to get you in the OR. No, 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 no. Don't say that. Jesus. Knock wood. Stop being hard. Stop being hard headed. Stop being hard headed. Okay. But yeah, I've relaxed. Kind of this weekend, I only, I didn't really do much yesterday, did I? I put together a piece of furniture and that was it. That's all I did. I'm, I'm resting. Don't worry. Don't worry. We got this under control, kind of. And if we don't have it under control, be sure that I will call you and tell you. But I'm not going under the knife unless I consult with my friend, Dr. Plenty. I'm not going to do that. That is the thing. You're just so hardhead. I just don't know what to do. I just literally don't know what to do with you. And then you didn't tell me. We <laughs> literally have talked this week and you did not mention it at all. Because I just figured it was like, oh, okay. Because honestly, Nicole, when I went to patient first, I thought they were going to be like, girl, here's some anti-inflammatory medication. Your knee will go down. I just thought I was going to come out with some pills to be 100% honest. But then the brace situation happened and now we're here. Oh my God. Well, at least you're, let's focus on the positive. At least you're better. I hope that you stay off of that knee and um, allow it to heal. Amen. I will do that. All right, Janine, what's on your timeline this week? Okay. So we just, of course, we don't really usually talk about medical stuff here, but we're going to talk about medical stuff. And we usually, especially don't talk about reproductive stuff because you got a whole podcast for that Pregnancy Pros podcast. Y'all go listen and subscribe to that. But this is Fibroid Awareness Month, so we're going to talk about it. Okay. It's funny because earlier this week, Ken asked me, he was like, hey, what are y'all talking about? Did you do your homework? And then when I told him what we were talking about, he was like, he literally chuckled and said, oh, well, that'll be easy because you've lived through this. So here we go. I'm going to run through the basic facts about fibroids and Fibroid Awareness Month. And then I'm going to let you give your expertise, Dr. Plenty. 
<laughs> okay. So start off, what are fibroids? Fibroids are non-malignant tumors that form in or on the uterus. Fibroids are treatable. So they're not like a death sentence. A lot of people are like, oh my goodness, I have fibroids. Most people don't die of fibroids, right? So they're definitely treatable. Most oftentimes people have a myomectomy um, or hysterectomy, but there are several treatments apparently that as I was doing research for this, I was like, I'm about to go down a medical rabbit hole. So I'll let Dr. Plenty do that part. Some symptoms of, of fibroids are heavy bleeding, pelvic pain, bloating, Fibroids can cause some infertility, frequent urination, constipation, pain in the legs or back, pressure, painful intercourse, bleeding between periods. So there are a lot of symptoms that you can have if you have fibroids. According to the research that I did, it says that not all fibroids require treatment. In some cases, doctors apparently just observe them to make sure that there's no change in the size of the fibroid or they're not causing you any problems, and they just kind of let them sit there. It's estimated that between 20 and 50% of women of childbearing age have fibroids, like are currently living with fibroids. And about 80% of women will develop fibroids before menopause. In the United States, 26 million women between the ages of 15 and 50 have fibroids. And there are approximately 171 million women suffering worldwide. Even though many women are affected by fibroids, it's still very widely underdiagnosed. And a lot of women don't even know to have a conversation with their doctor about fibroids. So just suffer in silence. Thanks to the efforts of the White Dress Project, there's been increasing awareness about fibroids and Fibroid Awareness Month. The White Dress Project, they were champions in creating Fibroid Awareness Month. And because of the White Dress Project, Fibroid Awareness Month is now observed across the country. The name for the White Dress Project came because women don't often wear white when they have fibroids because of the heavy bleeding. So... The mission of the White Dress Project is to empower women to and live free. So the white dress is a symbol of freedom and living free without the worry of having fibroids. If you would like to support them, you should go support the White Dress Project. They're at the forefront of fibroid awareness and it's super important. So I'm going to say this. If you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're an African-American woman, it's very likely that you will experience fibroids at some point in your life. According to the research that I saw, it's somewhere between 80 and 90% of African-American women will experience fibroids. Not only do we experience fibroids more frequently, our fibroids tend to be worse. So our fibroids tend to be to appear more often. So even once we have one fibroid, we might have another fibroid or multiple fibroids. Our fibroids tend to be larger. We, based on the research that I saw, have fibroids, African-American women have fibroids that are more resistant also to treatment. So our fibroids tend to be worse than pretty much any other race. So if you're listening to this, I would say even if you if you are not, if you don't have fibroids or you don't know anyone that has fibroids, I would say, please go check out the White Dress Project. It will give you a whole lot of information and it'll tell you just in case this happens to you or someone you know, which it's very likely, it, it gives you steps, questions to ask your doctor, things that you should be mindful of, things that you should look out for, things that are normal symptoms of your period and things that are symptoms that you could possibly have fibroids. And honestly, the White Dress Project actually was an integral part of my personal fibroid journey as well. So like I said, you should really check out the White Dress Project. So Dr. Plenty, you can give us all the medical information about fibroids and what people should be looking out for. You know, it's funny because um, it's, to hear you call me Dr. Plenty, oh, oh that's deep. It's like, it sounds sort of kind of weird. <laughs> and then whenever, um, so y'all have no idea. So when Janine said, let's talk about fibroids. I was like, really? Like we're about to go medical on them. And she's like, but this is what black women talk about. And, and, yeah. and it's true. Right. So she's right. 80% of, of us will have fibroids. I have fibroids. Janine has fibroids. My mama had fibroids. So I don't know a, a lot of people that haven't had fibroids. Right. So if you look around, 
yeah, 50% of, of African-American women in childbearing age, but like before you die, you will have fibroids likely, 80%. And we leave out the other um, the other ethnicities, but that's not necessarily true because 70% of Caucasian women also will experience fibroids sometime in their life. And I don't know if people just aren't talking to their physicians, but if you are, if you aren't, then you should, right? Because that's why fibroids are underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed. Y'all, we need to go to our annual visits. We have got to go to our annual visits. That's that yearly GYN visit where they do the pelvic exam and then they press your belly to see how big your uterus is. And if your uterus is big, it's not just big because you have a giant uterus. It's big because there's something going on in it. If you're not pregnant, your uterus should not be enlarged, right? And so something's going on. Like there's something inside of your cavity, like a fibroid. There could be a cancer there. It could be something else that we're feeling and we think it's your uterus. It's really your ovary. So, or it could be something else in your abdomen or some other kind of tumor. So that's why it's important for you to go to your annual exam. Annually, somebody should be feeling and making sure that your uterine size is small. It should be small, tiny, tiny. We should barely be able to feel it in the pelvis. Okay. If you can feel your own uterus, you have fibroids. That's very if you're true. pressing, you have fibroids. Um, it, fibroids are something else, some other type of tumor, but it's a mass there that you need to get checked out. And I don't know why people just sit there and they allow themselves, they know they're working out and they're like, I'm just bloated in the belly, but I'm working out. If your belly is big and the rest of your body is not so big, then a couple things could be causing that. And mainly it's fibroids. Alcohol can cause that too, y'all. Oh, we need to stop drinking so much. Oh, we need to stop drinking so much. That beer belly is a, is the truth. Beer belly can cause you to um, to get some fluid on your belly and ascites and, and liver disease and things like that. But once you rule out everything else, especially if you have heavy periods, that's going to be the number one trigger. Pelvic pain, constipation, heavy periods. That's what people complain of. Get that checked out and tell somebody. And you don't even have to wait until your next GYN visit. Now, don't do what Janine did earlier today about this knee and wait 13 years to tell somebody. You're going to tell somebody early when you go to your GYN exam, you're going to say, hey, I have painful periods. Hey, I have pain with sex. Hey, my cycles are lasting more than seven days. Or when they when I go on my cycle, I'm hosing. I have to wear a tampon and a pad. And I'm barely, you know, having, I barely can get through work without changing it every hour, every two hours. That is not normal. If you're listening, you think that's normal. That's you. You need to call your OBGYN right now. Okay, Nicole, let's let's stay right there for a second, though, right? So when I started, like, I knew I had fibroids, right? And again, the doctor was like, oh, let's just, you know, observe them for years, almost a decade. And then all of a sudden, it was like, when they got bad, they got really bad very quickly. My question is, though, I always had heavy cycles. I've always had heavy periods, right? And the doctor would be like, well, if the periods get heavier, let me know. What is heavy? Because the, the, what is the, what is the measure of, oh, this is heavy. Maybe I should talk to my doctor or this is just a little bit of a heavier cycle. If you're changing a pad every two hours, that's heavy. Like if you're saturating a pad, that's heavy. I'm not talking about you people that want to go to the bathroom and you have that one little area on the pad. That's not saturating because people are like, oh my God, I went through 10 pads today. Were they saturated though? If they weren't saturated like full, then that's not saturation. But you have people that actually are changing their pad every two hours or they're changing their tampon every two hours and not because they feel nasty and they want to change it. Because a lot of people do that because they don't feel clean. Mm -hmm. But because you're like, if I don't change this pad, I may be, I may soil my clothes. That's a problem. If you're, if you're changing pads because you are soiling your clothes, if you wait any longer than two hours, that is too much bleeding. And then if you're on your cycle and you're like, oh my God, I have to stay in bed all day long because my cramps are just that bad. Then some people do just have painful cycles, but you need to get it checked out to make sure it's not fibroids that's causing your painful cycles. And then if you are losing so much blood that when you're on your cycles, you feel dizzy or you're fainting, that is not normal. You need to get that checked out. You should be able to function pretty normally when you're on your cycle, with the exception of some some mild, um, you know, premenstrual symptoms before your cycle. Some people have a little bit of cramping. They need to take an NSAID during their cycle. But other than that, you should be able to function, right? Mm-hmm. Like some husbands say you're a little bit moody. 
you know, when you're on your cycle, okay, there's hormonal changes going on there. I get it. Um, and so fibroids and, and, and menstrual symptoms, you know, don't go hand in hand. Like, it's not like you have, you know, mood swings go with fibroids. Now that's just hormonal changes, period. But if you're like, oh, I'm so fatigued, I'm drained. Like I feel dizzy. I'm I'm super tired. Maybe you are losing a little bit too much blood. You need to get that checked out, girl. I will say this also, um, Janine, because you mentioned that you had fibroids for years and your doctor just wanted to monitor them. So there are times when you don't need them removed, right? Like you can, they're small, they're one to three centimeters. They're not causing you any issues. And I'm always in the mindset, if it's not bothering you, don't bother them, like leave them alone, right? Mm -hmm. But if you notice yourself, hey, I'm trying to get pregnant, I can't get pregnant, then that, and you know you have fibroids, then you may want to get those removed because you don't want to create any barrier to prevent you from getting pregnant. If you're now having, going from being asymptomatic, like I didn't even know they were there. They told me they were there on ultrasound, but if they hadn't done an ultrasound, I wouldn't have known they were there. And now all of a sudden you're having like constipation or pelvic heaviness, then you may want to get the size checked so that you can know to get them removed. So basically everything is based off of symptoms and whether or not you're trying to get pregnant or not. They're not necessarily based off of the size per se. So if you're asymptomatic and you have fibroids, then you don't necessarily need to get them removed. You can die with fibroids. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't cause you to die, but there's a lot of women walking around in their 80s and 90s with fibroids and they're not causing any issues, right? So it just depends on the symptoms and what you're trying to do and where they're located to say how you should get them removed and whether you should get them removed. I had mine removed. I had a myomectomy two years ago. What are some of the other treatments other than a hysterectomy, but you can go into that as well. What are some of the other treatments for fibroids? A hysterectomy is a treatment, right? So, you know, hysterectomy is when you get your whole uterus removed. And I don't necessarily recommend that unless you're done having children because the uterus, y'all, has no function. I know people are like, I don't want to get a hysterectomy. But I'm like, are you done having children? Because if you're done having children, it's just another organ that can eventually get cancer, right? Right. (laughs) So get it removed. Like if you're having issues with it and you're done having kids, like, hey, I'm in my 40s or you're, you know, already menopausal. Like, what are you, you know, what are you waiting on? Just get the dang on uterus removed. And you can do that laparoscopically, meaning with those small little ports, um, they can, and you won't even have a big incision. They can remove it laparoscopically and basically pull it through the vagina and then close up the vagina. Okay. Is what is how you do it laparoscopically. And that can be done laparoscopically using a robot or laparoscopically using just straight stick instruments. And your OBGYN will go into which type they do. If you're somebody that has larger fibroids, you may need an open hysterectomy, which is when you get that sort of like a bikini cut, almost like the same incision you would get for a C-section and they will remove the uterus that way. Now, there are people that specialize in minimally invasive surgery that can remove big fibroids laparoscopically. They just sort of chew them up and then remove them from the uterus and then pull out everything else through the vagina, depending on how big the uterus is itself. So some of it, they grind up. Some of it, they can remove, like carve out and remove from the vagina. Um, It just depends on the size. But a lot of the time you can get fibroids um, or your uterus removed laparoscopically and you won't need a big open case unless your uterus is really, really, really big. And it would be risky to keep you under anesthesia for so long to try to grind up the whole uterus laparoscopically to get it out. Um, And it could increase your blood loss and things like that. And so your OBGYN would talk to you about the proper type of procedure, whether that's open, whether that's laparoscopically, um, straight stick or laparoscopically using the robot instrument to use those very, very tiny incisions to get everything out. So that's one option, those three types of hysterectomy. And then obviously you can have a myomectomy like Janine had, and that can be done open or laparoscopically as well with the robot or straight stick as well. And that's when we go in and we remove just the fibroids from the uterus. And then we sew those sites closed so that you can retain your uterus. Now that can be risky because if you got a lot of fibroids that are big, it may be hard to reapproximate that uterine tissue. And if you bleed too much, you could end up needing a hysterectomy. Okay. That's rare that people would end up needing a hysterectomy. Usually what would happen is they would leave certain fibroids that they knew they couldn't get and removed ones that were bigger that were causing a problem. 
Okay, but everybody's different. And some some people will automatically get referred to a minimally invasive surgeon for a second opinion before they do an open myomectomy to see if there's any way to do that laparoscopically myomectomy. Then you can get stuff like a uterine artery embolization. That's when we, we basically radiology helps us with that. And they basically ablate or cut off blood supply from the uterine artery to the fibroid directly, right? So the uterine arteries supply the uterus. And back in the day, they used to be like, oh, we can just cut off the whole uterine artery and allow the uterus not to get as much blood supply to shrink the fibroids. Well, now they can do MRI mapping of vessels that directly supply the that part of the uterus to that fibroid. And so if they ablate that, they're not cutting off supply to the whole uterus. They're just cutting off supply to the fibroid, which allows it to like die, right? The fibroid itself necroses and dies and eventually will shrink. Now, some of my REI colleagues actually prefer the uterine artery embolization to um, the myomectomy because the myomectomy um, obviously can interfere sometimes with the integrity of the inside lining of the uterus. And if you're trying to do IVF and implant a baby into the uterine cavity and you have fibroids and the surgeon may have disturbed that lining because they had to, then that could you know, in turn um, have less success rates with IVF. So you got uterine artery embolization. And then you can do treatments for heavy bleeding, like an ablation and things like that. You can do with fibroids. That's like burning the inside lining of the uterus um, without touching the fibroids at all. And that way you don't bleed as much because you don't have the lining there to be shed. Now, if you have fibroids that are prolapsing into the cavity, they can also do a hysteroscopic myomectomy, which is where they shave that portion of the fibroid inside of the uterine cavity so that that particular fibroid doesn't bleed. But that's not a good treatment for fibroids that are outside or hanging off of the uterus. So you got some options. And then people will give you Lupron. That's just an injection. So if you're like, I'm anti-surgery. Well, they can give you a Lupron injection. That basically throws you into menopause though, right? And so it's decreases your estrogen and in turn will shrink the fibroids. And it's not a long-term solution because it throws you basically into premature menopause temporarily. And long-term, it can cause some issues with like osteoporosis and things like that. So those are pretty much your options for managing fibroids. And then if you have heavy bleeding, they can put you on other hormonal treatment, but that doesn't necessarily manage the fibroid. It manages the symptom of bleeding. Mm, that se. makes sense. And that's yeah. important to differentiate the two. Yeah. So I just would like to say there are a couple of myths that I've heard when, when I have conversations with other women about fibroids. The first myth is if you have fibroids, it's likely that they will cause cancer. Oh my God, no. It's not like fibroids are turning into cancer. It's just that this is a cancer. It's a type of cancer. Um, okay, so that's also made of like muscular tissue, just like a fibroid is made of muscular tissue. But it's not like the fibroids are going to become cancerous. Like that's not true. If there were cancer there in a fibroid, it was just cancer from the start. Thank you for clearing that up for people. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people say like, oh, it could turn into cancer. You need to get it removed. No doctor no. ever said that. No. Mm-mm. The second thing is people often tell Tell, say, oh, you have fibroids, you can't have babies. Yeah, that's, that's not true, y'all. Not I, had, true. I had like six fibroids and, and Janine told y'all she got a myomectomy. I didn't. I didn't get a myomectomy. I had. I thought I had five fibroids before I got pregnant. And then they said, oh, no, that's actually six. I'm like, okay, what, what's one more when you got five, right? What's right. one more? Join the party. But the, my fibroids like quadrupled in size during pregnancy because again, I was completely asymptomatic and my, fibro, my uterus was mildly enlarged. And then I got pregnant and they like quadrupled and caused compression of vessels and all kind of stuff. But after I delivered and I, and I, I did fine, right? I went through the whole pregnancy pretty uneventfully from a fibroid standpoint. Um, yeah, I had a whole bunch of other complications, but the fibroids weren't it. And, um, and after the pregnancy, my uterus like shrunk, right? I went to my annual GYN exam at the beginning of June and um, my OB was like, how about you said your uterus was big? I'm like, yeah, it was during pregnancy and before, right before pregnancy. But now it's like almost back to normal size. I mean, I know that there's still fibroids there, but they are a lot smaller. So they haven't caused me any issues. I'm not bothering them. I'm going to get the monitor. But you bet your bottom dollar as soon as I have a heavy cycle, I'm like, up. Oh, it's time for the whole uterus to come out because I'm not mucking around with a myomectomy. I'm getting my uterus taken out. Y'all, no more kids are coming through here. Not going to do it. Amen. So 
if somebody has fibroids and they tell their doctor like, hey, this is bothering me and maybe the doctor doesn't believe them or the doctor doesn't feel like it's as serious as they, their symptoms really are. And how do you have a conversation with your doctor to say, this is interfering with my life. Please pay attention to this. How do you start that conversation? You get a second opinion and fire that doctor. I'm sorry. Like, I just feel like it doesn't matter what your medical issue is. If you go to your doctor and say, hey, listen, this is bothering me. And they try to like, you know, downgrade your feelings or try to make you feel like what you're going through is like all in your head. You know, explain to them like, hey, I have I think I have fibroids because I am having really heavy cycles. I'm having pain with my periods. Like, can I be evaluated? And if they evaluate you and there's nothing there, okay, then then they need to do another workup and do something else. But if they're like, oh, yeah, no, you're young and healthy. Like, you don't have any fibroids. Like, I did an exam on you. Your exam feels fine. You don't need an ultrasound. Go get a second opinion. You do not. Let me tell you, it's just like having an attorney, right? If you feel like your attorney's not representing you the right way, you, I mean, there's a way to fire people, right? You can say, I would like a second opinion and get a second opinion. Or if you don't want to tell them, just go and find another OBGYN and get your records transferred. You can do that. That's a thing. Because if you feel like you try to tell your OBGYN that you're having a problem and they won't do an evaluation, like why are you not doing at least an evaluation? They're not doing an evaluation, then that's a problem. And you should get a second opinion. And ask if it's not fibroids. Let's say they did do an evaluation. What is the next step? Because you have some people that may have chronic pelvic pain and they don't have fibroids and and they do a workup. They do a CT scan or an MRI and an ultrasound and all of it is negative, right? Mm -hmm. And so those people may have chronic pelvic pain. And so they may need a referral to a chronic pelvic pain specialist or somebody that can do pelvic therapy. So get some type of answer, okay? And maybe it's not something physically there, but it could be that you have something else going on. So you should always, they should always be willing to work up what's going on. And if they don't know, I'm quick to say, listen, I need to refer you to somebody else that knows more than me. Okay. So they can do another workup on you or, Hey, I think you may have chronic pain. I don't treat patients with chronic pain. I'm going to refer you to a pain therapist. That's going to do a little bit more extra workup and perhaps offer you some other treatment besides just giving you pain pills, you know? So Always get an answer, okay? If, if you had a workup that's negative, get an answer. And your, your doctor should always be working. Even if they don't know the answer right away, they should always be working to find an answer. So I think that we've had enough conversation about fibroids. And I'm going to say this. Go, if you have any questions, you feel uncomfortable talking to your doctor, go subscribe and listen to Pregnancy Pearls. Nicole talks about this all the time. And fibroids are real. Even if you don't want to get pregnant, fibroids are a real thing. So go, there's an episode about fibroids, correct? There is an episode about fibroids. There's a couple episodes about fibroids on um, on the podcast. It actually was the second episode with Dr. Sims, who also had fibroids. She's an OBGYN in Mississippi. So um, that Pregnancy Pearls podcast episode is up. And then there's a YouTube episode about um, fibroids as well. So go check them out, y'all. Let me tell you something. I don't want to have babies. We all know this, right? From listening to this podcast, we know that Janine loves the kids as long (laughs) as they don't belong to her, right? I don't want to have babies. But knowing about fibroids, just because you don't need to use your uterus does not mean that it cannot cause you problems. You don't want to bleed to death. Fibroids can make you really bleed. So if you have a heavy bleeding, like this is not like a suck it up moment. Like should never suck up heavy bleeding ever, 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 ever. And let me say one other thing before you tell the people (laughs) that we're taking a hiatus. Uh If you have fibroids and somebody tries to treat you symptomatically, yes, you can treat heavy bleeding with birth control, different types of birth control. That patch is not one that I like, right? It's going to put you at increased risk for blood clotting. I don't like the patch. I said it. I said what I said. I don't like it. Specifically that patch. I mean, it's like a black box warning that causes vasculitis, um, particularly in the side, in the arm of the side of the patch. And it can cause you to have an increased risk of blood clotting. So, If you have to choose one, do not choose the patch. From my non-medical knowledge, I would choose an IUD. That's what I have. It's worked out Mm -hmm. well. It's the best best birth control that I've had ever. Yeah, and the the IUD, like Mirena, like the IUD, not the copper IUD. The copper IUD is not not hormonal. But like your Mirena, your Skyla, your Kylina, like those IUDs are actually used to treat heavy bleeding. So they're a good non-surgical option. But if you still have heavy bleeding after that, you need to get those fibers removed. All right, Janine. Let's talk. 
walk through some scenarios, why don't we? Let's do it. Our first letter says, Nicole and Janine, I'm not really sure what to do. Fibroids are ruining my relationship. My boyfriend and I have been together for six years. I was diagnosed with fibroids five years ago during my annual GYN exam. At that time, my cycles were a bit heavy, but I didn't have any other issues. My OBGYN at the time recommended that I have them removed, but since they were small, about three centimeters each, I decided to wait. Over the years, my cycle got heavier despite birth control, and now I have six fibroids, all between five to nine centimeters in size. I've gained quite a bit of weight, and now intercourse is painful. My boyfriend wants me to get them removed, but when my new OBGYN discussed the risk, it scares me. She says I could potentially lose my uterus. If that's the case, I wouldn't be able to have kids. I don't want them removed with that risk, but I don't want to be miserable either. Ladies, I don't want to lose my relationship. I don't want to live like this. Please help. What would you do in my shoes? Okay. As we have discussed, Janine has been here. Let me tell you this. When your stomach starts to get big and you can start to see them, that's probably time to get them addressed. If you are this uncomfortable, I think that one of the last symptoms that I had was the painful intercourse, right? Prior to that, it was just the heavy bleeding, the the discomfort, the embarrassment of possible leaking, like all of that, that, you know, the cramps, all of that. But the painful intercourse was like towards the end before, right before I had my myomectomy. I get it. The symptoms sound very scary. My doctor told me literally the exact same thing. Like, hey, I mean, to the moment as they were rolling me down to get the IV to have me count down backwards, right? They they reminded me, hey, there's a possibility that you could, one, have to have a blood transfusion in the middle of the surgery, or two, if the myomectomy doesn't work, you might end up having to have had a hysterectomy. Are you okay with that? And the truth of the matter is, yes, I was, because there was no way that I could have continued to live the way that I was living. And it sounds like you might be at that point. Now, I'm going to say this. If it's not bothering you that much, I would not allow the pressure from your boyfriend to sway your decision one way or the other. However, you ask what I would do in my shoes and knowing what I know now and and being on the other side of a myomectomy, the one thing that I regret is not having done it sooner. The freedom that you will feel on the other side of your myomectomy, of course, once you heal up, girl, once you get back to your fighting situation, you will be asking yourself, why didn't I do this before? It sounds scarier than it is to me. Of course, the doctors have to give you all of the potential risk. That's what they have to do. That's the legalese of it all. But the truth of the matter is, it's worth it, girl. It's worth it. It was like someone had opened up a whole new world to me when my myomectomy was over. So I would say, go ahead and have them checked out. That's what I would say. Yeah, I mean, she probably is at the state of regret, right? She's probably like, man, why did I not get these fibers removed when they were three centimeters? Why did I not get them removed? But realistically, if they weren't bothering you at that time, I could see why you didn't get them removed. Um, so let me say this whole like your boyfriend. He's not your husband. You've been with him six years and he didn't put a ring on it. And he has no say. He has zero say. I mean, you can get this, uh, get this fibroids removed and be on to the next man because he has not put a ring on it. So let me erase his concern because his concern is not your concern. But you are having painful intercourse and you have gained weight because of them. And it is affecting your quality of life. So then you have to ask yourself, how much am I going to deal with? Because Leaving them there until you are menopausal and you don't have that estrogen, uh, that pre-menopausal estrogen level, they're going to be there, right? After menopause, yeah, they can, they'll likely shrink and they won't cause you any issues. But before you get there, they can cause you some issues, girl. They can get worse. They can cause you some issues with bleeding. So I would say this is now the time to act. I would definitely look at if you want to have children, then you need to look at something that preserves your uterus like a myomectomy. We have to tell you all the time that there's a risk that your uterus can get taken out. I mean, that's just a risk. We tell people that there's a risk of hysterectomy with anything that deals with the pelvis, anything. So um, if your OB doesn't feel comfortable, you can ask them, how comfortable do you feel doing this case? And if she doesn't feel comfortable, get a second opinion. Go to a minimally invasive surgeon and get a second opinion. See if they can do it laparoscopically. And usually that risk is, hey, you might have to be converted to open case. Okay, well, that's not as big of a risk. But if she's saying that she has, you have to do an open, hyster uh, open myomectomy and there's a risk of using your uterus and she's not as confident 
confident, then, you know, you may want to ask for a second opinion. So I always say if you if your physician doesn't feel confident that they can get them, then ask for a second opinion. Right. And then you could always do the uterine artery embolization if you wanted to do something that's minimally invasive and doesn't require surgery. You can do the uterine artery embolization and see how you do with that. And most of the time that will shrink the fibroids enough that they're not, they're not causing you any problems. Now, the issue with getting a myomectomy or even a uterine artery embolization is that you can they can grow back, right? They can grow back or you can get new fibroids. So you do still have to be constantly monitored annually at your exam to see if you have any new fibroids that have come up. But for now, to me, you're weighing the option of do you get a myomectomy or do you get a uterine artery embolization? If it were me, I would get a myomectomy because I don't want to have any more well, I would actually get a hysterectomy because I'm done with having children. But if I hadn't had Harrison yet, and at the time we were thinking about doing either or, I would do a myomectomy because a uterine artery embolization is not going to for sure get rid of the fibroid altogether. It's going to shrink it. The other thing about the uterine artery embolization that people fail to talk about is that it can cause you to have some pain, right? Like when fibroids die off on the inside and shrink or necrose, it can be quite painful. So usually I counsel people and say, hey, you need pretty much two weeks after you get this uterine artery embolization to allow that fibroid to shrink and die. And if you're somebody that's like, oh no, I got to go work. Well, then you may want to try to get a more minimally invasive myomectomy wherein that you can go back to work a week after that. But if you're getting an open myomectomy compared to a uterine artery embolization, then obviously you're going to have a faster recovery with the uterine artery embolization than you are taking four to six weeks off with an open myomectomy. So it just depends on the amount of time you have off. It depends on if you want to have children now versus later. And it depends on if you want ready for a surgery versus something non-surgical like the uterine artery embolization. But case in point, we would both do something. Like don't just continue to live your life like that. You got to take action and um, do something to shrink or get rid of these fibroids. Like to me, that's like a no-brainer. Don't Mm -hmm. suffer. No reason. No. My letter says, hey, y'all, your girl needs some help and advice. I hope that you can help since Nicole is a doc and all. Okay, so boom, I have fibroids. I've had them since I was 22. I'm 38 now. I was diagnosed after seeing several doctors about my debilitating periods. Initially, things seemed to be well controlled with birth control and pain meds. My doctor said that he would monitor them, but he was not going to disturb them unless they were disturbing me. They did not bother me until about eight years ago or so when I came off of my birth control. It seems that the symptoms came back with a vengeance. In the last six years, I've had two myomectomies, each removing multiple fibroids. I've undergone several transfusions and I'm severely anemic. I've also had two rounds of IVF that have been unsuccessful. As you can tell, I'm unable to conceive. To top it all off, my fibroids are back again. I have them both in the inner and outer walls of my uterus. My doctor says that I even have one that's the size of a softball. He says that I can undergo another myomectomy, but he can't guarantee that they won't come back unless I have a hysterectomy. I know that my husband really wants children, but I'm 38 with what seem to be severe fibroids. And honestly, my body is tired. I don't want to give up on my hopes of having a family, but I don't know how much more my body can take. Nicole, do I have any other options besides a hysterectomy that might be more permanent than a myomectomy? Please help. Is she, uh, I might've missed this. Is she seeing, is she having a, trying to have a baby naturally? IVF. In that case, if you had two myomectomies, I feel like it was six years ago you had your last myomectomy or maybe that was the first one. She said that she's had two in the last six years. Two in the last six years. So, um, so I would say, you know, now we're dealing with you having a whole bunch of incisions on your uterus, right? And you having a whole bunch of scar tissue uh, in your belly. So it may make getting another myomectomy harder. Usually right after a myomectomy, your your doctor is going to wait six weeks and try to do an IVF cycle. Like it should be like very quick for you to do an IVF cycle because you don't want to give time for them to grow back, right? So I don't know what the timing was between when you started your IVF cycles and your myomectomies. If you waited like a couple years and then tried to do IVF, that could be why you're having trouble now. I definitely do think you need your fibroids removed if you're going to go through IVF. IVF is expensive. There's no reason to put a baby in a uterus if you've been trying this long and you know there's fibroids there. So I would definitely say get the fibroids removed. Now, 
Reproductive endocrinologists are actually really good minimally invasive surgeons. So if your reproductive endocrinologist says, hey, let's do mapping of your fibroids, and I think that we should get them removed, then you should get them removed. Um, the other option is that you could try a uterine artery embolization and then get, get IVF right after that. Like I told you, some REI colleagues actually prefer uterine artery embolizations to myomectomies for patients with IVF it, because it really depends on where the fibroids are because it's not going to necessarily distort the inside lining of the cavity. So it really depends on where the fibroids are and what the recommendation of your reproductive endocrinologist is because both of them have risk, right? So getting you uh, your fibroids removed via myomectomy, they're going back in with the surgery under anesthesia and that is a risk that you could enter, you know, they could enter the endometrial cavity and and really distort and disrupt the tissues there. Okay. But if they're not near the lining and it's just pushing on the lining, perhaps that, that that's not much of a risk. The thing about uterine artery embolization is that, yeah, you can get IVF and get pregnant, but it does decrease flow to certain parts of the uterus. So some people have an increased risk of having smaller babies because of that if you have IVF. And so you would need growth scans serially to make sure your baby's not small. You don't have any other complications um, during pregnancy because of that. Um, but all in all, you need to get the fibrous removed before you go through IVF. Now, I would talk to your provider about which route uterine uterine artery embolization is non-invasive, but it really depends on where the fibroids are. I mean, that would be an option that you can discuss with your provider and say, hey, am I a good candidate for this? Followed by IVF, okay? Versus doing a myomectomy, followed by IVF. Whatever you do, you need to follow it by IVF within a couple of months after getting it done because there's no reason to wait. Waiting, we already know, will allow your fibroids to grow back because you have fibroids that just want to grow. So get them removed, however, whichever way, and talk to your provider about either one and then go forth with IVF. That's what I would do. And from a very non-medical perspective... I would look at different options. If you're saying that your body is tired, girl, we the same age. I'm about to be 38. I would just say adoption is real. Adoption is if real. And this much money for IVF, it's likely you can afford a surrogate. If you really want to have children, if you and your husband really want to have kids, why don't we explore some other options? If you want to have a biological child, maybe put the money into a, having a surrogate rather than having IVF, right? If yeah, not- people do do that. I mean, surrogacy, let me just, uh, so we'll have a season two of Pregnancy Pearls, we'll have a surrogate on there. I've already arranged that. Amen. Because my husband and I have thought about that ourselves. Surrogacy can get expensive, right? It's going to be between eighty dollars and $120,000 to do a surrogate in addition to the cost of IVF. So it is very expensive, but if you really want a child and you're like, I am done doing all the poking and prodding that's going on, that may be an option. And most people, if they do do that, people are like, I can't ever afford that. I mean, people, the things that you take out your 401k for, like that would be something to take out your 401k for, you know, things like that. If you don't just have the savings readily available and you know you want a child, you know, talk to your husband about options. Like, hey, where can we pull money from real quick if we needed to, to have this child without me having to go through two, three major surgeries, because eventually you probably will need a hysterectomy because your fibroids are growing back, even after you have children. So, you know, ask about that. Like, is a surrogate a natural option? And there's a lot of black and brown little children that need to be adopted. So, Janine, oh, we're taking a break. We have to take a break before season two. So, y'all, while we're taking a break, don't slack. Continue to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Oh That's Deep BWC. So keep following because we'll keep on posting and we will continue to answer your DMs. <laughs> of course. And we're on Twitter. Our Twitter's been popping lately. A lot of conversations Twitter over Twitter. there. It's O underscore BWC on Twitter. And yes, make sure that you continue to follow us. And we are going to give you a best of episode. So we're going to compile an episode of all of our favorite moments from season one to hold you over to season two. So next week's episode will be a best of episode. And then we will come back in a couple of weeks with some new, fresh, exciting episodes. We can't wait. But we got to take a little break. It's our summer vacay. Give us a summer vacay. Also, friends, this is a good time. Our new friends who may not have heard the first episodes, go back. Go back and listen to all the old episodes and catch up by season two. And then invite your friends so that by season two, it's a party. (laughs) All right, Janine. So what did you learn new this week? Okay, so 
a couple of things. One, I learned that fibroids are responsible for about one third of hysterectomies, according to the Fibroid Foundation. So one third of the hysterectomies that happen in the United States of America are because of fibroids. And then I also learned that the White Dress Project has a few things going on that we can help out with. The first is They have a petition to get several larger insurance companies to cover LAP RFA. Basically, it's a minimally invasive fibroid treatment. Several large insurance companies right now only cover myomectomies or hysterectomies. And the second thing is they have a house bill that has been recently introduced. It's called the Stephanie Tubbs Jones Uterine Fibroid Research and Education Act of 2021. And this legislation would provide about $150 million to NIH for clinical research into fibroids. And that's about $30 million a year between this year and 2025. And it would also create a fibroid public education program, among other things. So if you'd like to support this bill or um, you would like to sign the petition, you can go to the whitedressproject.org and they have a form letter and all of the information that you need to support this. So LAPRFA is the laparoscopic uh, radiofrequency ablation treatment. Basically, it's like lasering fibroids. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? So I know a lot about fibroids, but what I didn't know was that the largest fibroid ever removed was actually on a woman after she died. And it was in 1888 and it weighed 140 pounds. And the largest removed amongst a patient who survived the procedure weighed 100 pounds, a fibroid that weighed 100 pounds. And then the most fibroids removed was 186 total. And that was December 11th, 2016 in Cairo, Egypt. I just wonder how do people survive with such large or so many fibroids? People do. Wow. Women's bodies are amazing. They're amazing. You're right. All right. Are you ready for the motivational moment for the week? Yes, ma'am. So the motivational moment says... Don't let fibroids or any other health condition consume your life. Go get that second opinion, sis, and make decisions that will help you live your best life up to your fullest potential. Do your research and make it happen. Until we meet again, pray, work, slay, and show off your melanated excellence. Bye! Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.